Chapter 3, Part 1 of The Curious Lore of Precious Stones. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Curious Lore of Precious Stones by George Frederick Kunz. Chapter 3 On the Talismanic Use of Special Stones. Agate. The author of Lithica celebrates the merits of the agate in the following lines. Adorned with this, thou woman's heart shall gain, and by persuasion thy desire obtain, and if of men thou aught demand shalt come, with all thy wish fulfilled, rejoicing home. This idea is elaborated by Marbotus, bishop of Rennes in the eleventh century, who declares that agates make the wearers agreeable and persuasive, and also give them the favor of God. Still other virtues are recounted by Camillo Leonardo, who claims that these stones give victory and strength to their owners and avert tempests and lightning. The agate possessed some wonderful virtues, for its wearer was guarded from all dangers, was enabled to vanquish all terrestrial obstacles, and was endowed with a bold heart. This latter prerogative was presumably the secret of his success. Some of these wonder-working agates were black with white veins, while others again were entirely white. The wearing of agate ornaments was believed to be a cure for insomnia and was thought to ensure pleasant dreams. In spite of these supposed advantages, Cardano asserts that while wearing this stone he had many misfortunes which he could not trace to any fault or error of his own. He, therefore, abandoned its use, although he states that it made the wearer more prudent in his actions. Indeed, Cardano appears to have tested the talismanic worth of gems according to a plan of his own, namely, by wearing them in turn and noting the degree of good or ill fortune he experienced. By this method he apparently arrived at positive results based on actual experience, but he quite failed to appreciate the fact that no real connection of any kind existed between the stones and their supposed effects. In another treatise, this author takes a somewhat more favorable view of the agate and proclaims that all varieties render those who wear them temperate, continent, and cautious. Therefore, they are all useful for acquiring riches. According to the text accompanying a curious print published in Vienna in 1709, the attractive qualities of the so-called coral agate were to be utilized in an airship, the invention of a Brazilian priest. Over the head of the aviator, as he sat in the airship, there was a network of iron to which large coral agates were attached. These were expected to help in drawing up the ship when, through the heat of the sun's rays, the stones had acquired magnetic power. The main lifting force was provided by powerful magnets enclosed in two metal spheres. How the magnets themselves were to be raised is not explained. About the middle of the past century, the demand for agate amulets was so great in the Sudan that the extensive agate-cutting establishments at Idar and Obersten in Germany were almost exclusively busied with the filling orders for this trade. Brown or black agates having a white ring in the center were chiefly used for the fabrication of these amulets, the white ring being regarded as a symbol of the eye. Hence the amulets were supposed to neutralize the power of the evil eye, or else be emblematic of the watchfulness of a guardian spirit. The demand for these amulets has fallen off greatly, but when it was at its height, single firms exported them to the value of $40,000 $30, annually, the total export amounting to hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
even at present a considerable trade in these objects is still carried on that there is a fashion in amulets is shown by the fact that while red white and green amulets are in demand on the west coast of africa only white stones are favored for this use in northern africa alexandrite there are a few talismanic stones which have gained their repute in our time notably the alexandrite the discovery of this variety is stated to have been made in eighteen thirty one on the day that alexander the second then heir apparent reached his majority and it was therefore named alexandrite by nordenskjold the mineralogist the stone as found in gem form rarely weighs over from one to three carats and is characterized by a marked pleochroism of a splendid green changing to a beautiful columbine red but in ceylon much larger gems are found some few weighing sixty carats each although rarely of more than one or two carats the color is of a darker and more bottle-like green and the change by night renders them darker and more granitized than the russian stones which are extremely rare as red and green are the russian national colors the alexandrite has become a great favorite with the russians and is looked upon as a stone of good omen in that country such however is its beauty as a gem then its fame is by no means confined to russia and it is eagerly sought in other lands as well amber amber was one of the first substances used by man for decoration and was also employed at a very early period for amulets and for medicinal purposes more or less shapeless pieces of rough amber marked with circular depressions have been found in prussia schleswig-holstein and denmark in deposits of the stone age these depressions are sometimes regularly disposed and at other times irregularly and seem intended to imitate similar depressions found in large stones and rocks often the work of man's hand but occasionally the result of natural causes in hornus's opinion they mark the resting place of the spirit or spirits believed to animate the stone and hence it is probable that the amber fragments were used as talismans or amulets for the ancient greek poets the grains of amber were the tears annually shed over the death of their brother phaethon by the heliades after grief had metamorphosed them into poplars growing on the banks of the eridanus the modern river po in a lost tragedy of sophocles he saw the origin of amber in the tears shed over the death of meliager by certain indian birds for nicias it was the juice or essence of the brilliant rays of the setting sun congealed in the sea and then cast up upon the shore a more prosaic explanation likened amber to resin and regarded it as being an exudation from the trunks of certain trees indeed the poetic fancy we have just noted is the same idea clothed in a metaphorical or mythological form another fancy represented amber to be the solidified urine of the lynx hence one of its names lincurius the brilliant and beautiful yellow of certain ambers and the fact that this material was very easily worked served to make its use more general and it soon became a favorite object of trade and barter between the peoples of the baltic coast and the more civilized people to the south schliemann found considerable amber from the baltic and the graves of mycenae and frequent allusions to it in the works of latin authors of the first and succeeding centuries testify to its popularity in the roman world perhaps the very earliest allusion in literature to the ornamental use of amber appears in homer's odyssey where we read eurymachus received a golden necklace richly wrought 
and set with amber beads that glowed as if with sunshine to eurydamas there came a pair of earrings each a triple gem daintily fashioned and of exquisite grace two servants bore them amber ingeniously carved into animal forms has been discovered in tumuli in indersone norway these curious objects were worn as amulets and the peculiar forms were supposed to enhance the power of the material giving it special virtues and rendering it of greater value and efficacy pieces of amber with singular natural markings were greatly esteemed especially when these markings suggested the initials of the name of some prominent person thus we are told that frederick wilhelm i of prussia paid to a dealer a high price for a piece of amber on which appeared his initials the same dealer had another piece on which he read the initials of charles the twelfth of sweden when he received the news of this king's death he bitterly lamented having lost the opportunity of selling him amber for a high price but he was cleverly consoled by nathaniel sendall the realtor of the story who easily persuaded the dealer that the markings could just as well signify the initials of some other name sendall adduces that this is a proof that the letters read on such pieces of amber were as much the product of the observer's imaginations as of the markings on the material those who secured amber so mysteriously marked by nature's hand probably felt that they had obtained a talisman of great power especially destined for their use amethyst while the special and traditional virtue of the amethyst was the cure of drunkenness many other qualities were attributed to this stone in the fifteenth century for leonardo it had the power to control evil thoughts to quicken the intelligence and to render men shrewd in business matters an amethyst worn on the person had a sobering effect not only upon those who had partaken too freely of the cup that intoxicates but also upon those overexcited by the love passion lastly it preserved soldiers from harm and gave them victory over their enemies and was of great assistance to hunters in the capture of wild animals the amethyst shared with many other stones the power to preserve the wearer from contagion a pretty legend in regard to the amethyst has been happily treated in french verse the god bacchus offended at some neglect that he had suffered was determined to avenge himself and declare that the first person he should meet when he and his train passed along should be devoured by his tigers fate willed it that this luckless mortal was a beautiful and pure maiden named amethyst who was on her way to worship at the shrine of diana as the ferocious beast sprang toward her she sought the protection of the goddess and was saved from a worse fate by being turned into a pure white stone recognizing the miracle and repenting of his cruelty bacchus poured the juice of the grape as a libation over the petrified body of the maiden thus giving to the stone the beautiful violet hue that so charms the beholder's eye from the various descriptions of this stone given by ancient writers it appears that one of the varieties was probably the purple almandine or indian garnet and it is not improbable that we have here the reason for the name amethyst and for the supposed virtue of the stone in preserving from drunkenness for if water were poured into a vessel made of a reddish stone the liquid would appear like wine and could nevertheless be drunk with impunity beryl arnoldus saxo writing about twelve twenty after reciting the virtues of beryl as given by marbotus after evax and isidorus reports in addition that the stone gave help against their foes in battle or in litigation the wearer was rendered unconquerable and at the same time amiable while his intellect was quickened and he was cured of laziness in the old german translation of thomas de cantipris de proprietibus 
rerum, we read that the barrel reawakens the love of married people. Er hat auch die Ardaz erdur alut liab weiderspringt. Bloodstone. The heliotrope, or bloodstone, was supposed to impart a reddish hue to the water in which it was placed, so that when the rays of the sun fell upon the water they gave forth red reflections. From this fancy was developed the strange exaggeration that this stone had the power to turn the sun itself a blood red and to cause thunder, lightning, rain, and tempest. The old treatise of Demigeron relates this of the bloodstone, adding that it announced future events by producing rain and by audible oracles. Probably the conjurers, before proceeding to use the stone for their incantations, watched the heavens and waited until they noticed the signs of an approaching storm. Then they interpreted the sounds of the wind and thunder in various ways, so as to give apt answers to the questions addressed to them touching future events. It is well known that the sighing of the wind and indeed all of those natural sounds which constitute the grand symphony of nature were interpreted by prophets and seers into articulate speech demigeron also declares that the bloodstone preserved the faculties and bodily health of the wearer brought him consideration and respect and guarded him from deception in the laden papyrus the bloodstone is praised as an amulet in the following extravagant terms the world has no greater thing if any one have this with him, he will be given whatever he asks for. It also assuages the wrath of kings and despots, and whatever the wearer says will be believed. Whoever bears this stone, which is a gem, and pronounces the name engraved upon it, will find all doors open, while bonds and stone walls will be rent asunder. Carbuncle The carbuncle was recommended as a heart stimulant. Indeed, so powerful was its action that the wearers were rendered angry and passionate and were even warned to be on their guard against attacks of apoplexy. The blood-red hue of the stone also suggested its use as a symbol of the divine sacrifice of Christ on the cross. However, not only in Christianity was this stone used to illustrate religious conceptions, for the Quran affirms that the fourth heaven is composed of carbuncle. In mythical fantasies, too, this stone played its part, for dragon's eyes were said to be carbuncles. Rumphius states that in 1687 he was told by a chirurgeon that the latter had seen in the possession of one of the rulers of the island, an Amboin, a carbuncle said to have been brought by a serpent. The story ran that this ruler, when a child, had been placed by his mother in a hammock attached to two branches of a tree. While there, a serpent crept up to him and dropped a stone upon his body. In gratitude for this gift, the parents of the child fed and cared for the serpent. The stone is described as having been of a warm yellow hue, verging on red. It shone so brightly at night that a room could be illuminated by it. It eventually passed into the possession of a king of Siam. Carnelian Carnelian is a talisman. It brings good luck to child and man. If resting on an onyx ground, a sacred kiss imprint when found. It drives away all evil things to thee and thine protection brings. The name of Allah, King of Kings, if graven on this stone indeed, will move to love his doughty deed. From such a gem a woman gains sweet hope and comfort in her pains. The wearing of carnelians is recommended by the lapidaro of Alfonso X to those who have a weak voice or are timid in speech, for the warm-colored stone will give them the courage they lack so that they will speak both boldly and well. This is in accord with the general belief in the stimulating and animating effects produced by red stones. On a carnelian is engraved in Arabic characters a prayer to keep away evil and to deliver the wearer from the tricks of the devil and from the envious. 
the inscription reads in translation, In the name of God, the just, the very just, I implore you, O God, King of the world. God of the world, deliver us from the devil, who tries to do harm and evil to us through bad people, and from the evil of the envious. Throughout all the East, people are afraid of the envious. They believe that if you envy a person for his health or his wealth, or any good thing he may have, he will lose it in a short time, and it is the devil who incites the envy of some people against others. So it is supposed that by wearing this stone, bearing this prayer against the envious, their envy will cease to do you harm. The popularity of the carnelian as a talismanic stone among Mohammedan peoples is said to be due to the fact that the prophet himself wore, on the little finger of his right hand, a silver ring set with a carnelian engraved for use as a seal. One of the most famous of the imams, Jafar, lent the weight of his authority to the belief in the virtue of the carnelian, for he declared that all the desires of any man who wore this stone would be gratified. Hence, in Persia, the name of one of the twelve imams comprising Ali and his successors is frequently engraved on this stone. An Armenian writer of the 17th century reports that in India, the lal, or balas ruby, if powdered and taken in a potion, was believed to banish all dark forebodings and to excite joyous emotions. To the carnelian was attributed a virtue somewhat analogous to that ascribed to the turquoise, as anyone wearing a carnelian was proof against injury from falling houses or walls. And the writer emphasizes this by stating that no man who wore a carnelian was ever found in a collapsed house or beneath a fallen wall. Chalcedony, an ingenious though far-fetched explanation of the power attributed to Chalcedony of driving away phantoms and visions of the night is supplied by Gonelli, writing in 1702. For him, the source of this asserted power was to be found in what has been erroneously termed of the alkaline quality of the stone. This dissipated the evil humors of the eye, thus removing the diseased condition of that organ which caused the apparitions to be seen. However absurd this explanation may be, it nevertheless shows that the author put little faith in visible ghosts, and rightly enough recognized the purely subjective character of such phenomena. Chrysoberyl The cat's eye variety of chrysoberyl, or precious cat's eye, is used by the natives of Ceylon as a charm against evil spirits. As a proof of the high value set upon the gem in India, Debut states that a cat's eye, estimated as worth 90 gold pieces in Lusitania, was sold for 600 in India. Some of the finest specimens come from Ceylon. Chrysolite. The serpent isle in the Red Sea was stated by Agatharsides to be the source whence came the topaz, chrysolite. Here, by the mandate of Egyptian kings, the inhabitants collected specimens of this stone and delivered them to the gem cutters for polishing. These simple details are elaborated by Diodorus Siculus into the legend that the island was guarded by jealous watchers who had orders to put to death any unauthorized persons who approached it. Even those who had the right to seek the gem could not see the chrysolite in daytime. Only after nightfall was it revealed by its radiance. The seekers then marked well the spot and were able to find the stone on the following day. From this Egyptian source, and possibly from others exploited by the Egyptians, have come the finest chrysolites, peridots, or olivines, the most magnificent examples of this gem. These found their way into the cathedral treasures of Europe, evidently by loot or trade at the period of the Crusades, and are generally called emeralds. Those most notable are in the treasury of the three magi. In the great Dom, or cathedral at Cologne, some of these gems are nearly two inches long. 
In our own land, beautiful specimens can be seen in the Morgan Collection in the American Museum of Natural History and in the Higginbotham Hall in the Field Museum of Natural History, Chicago, Illinois. Pliny quotes from Juba the tradition that the topaz, chrysolite, derived its name from the island of Topazos in the Red Sea, the first specimen having been brought thence by the procurator Philemon to Berenice, mother of Ptolemy II, Philadelphus. The monarch is said to have had a statue of his wife, Arisnoe, made from the stone. If there be any foundation for this latter statement, the precious gift sent by Philemon must have been a mass of fluorospar, or some similar material. More than three hundred years after Pliny's time, Epiphanius, evidently repeating another version of this tradition, states that the topaz was set in the diadem of the Theban queen. Chrysolite, olivine, or peridot, to exert its full power, required to be set in gold. Worn in this way, it dispelled the vague terrors of the night. If, however, it were to be used as a protection from the wiles of evil spirits, the stone had to be pierced and strung on the hair of an ass and then attached to the left arm. The belief in the virtue of the chrysolite to dissolve enchantments and to put evil spirits to flight was probably due to the association of the stone with the sun, before whose life-giving rays darkness and all the powers of darkness were driven away. End of chapter 3, part 1. Thank you for listening. This has been read for you by Mike Golchinski, also known as Mr. Mike 79, from Lowell, Michigan, United States of America.